in this. And we've got Patrice joining us. Hello to everybody watching the recording um, and, and time traveling with us here. Um, I'm going to take a minute and introduce our guest, Tim Freak, uh, an English philosopher, author of 35 books, uh, translated into more than 15 languages, including Sun Sunday Times bestseller and Daily Telegraph book of the year. Um, and uh, we were just mentioning uh, to those of us who are joining us live, um, we have hosted him before, uh, before my time uh, um, with uh, Jesus Mysteries. Um, he uh, has traveled all over the world doing retreats uh, and doing a lot online. So you can check him out at timfreak.com, F-R-E-K-E.com. I'll also be putting into the chat box uh, our curated list of his books, which you can purchase through bookshop.org. We really appreciate you doing that. Um, and thank you for being here with us, Tim. Uh, it's, a, it's a real pleasure. It's, uh, I'm sure it's not, not, not as great as being in person, but it's the next best thing. Indeed. And Tim, if you want to, I just spotlighted you for the recording, but you're welcome to um, change it back to gallery so you can see folks. If, if that's your yeah, preference. no, I've done that yeah. already. So I can, I, I can see everyone. Um, thank you, Bima. And thanks for the inv invitation. Um, so Nina, Patrice and Angela, uh, we have got a very small group here now. I know there's a lot of other people who have booked us, obviously see it later online, but it looks like we're going to have a very small group. So I think of that like an elite, an elite gathering in which we can really explore. I, I, had a, uh, I had an experience years ago, which taught me a lot about when this happens. I was invited to uh, Canada by a priest uh, to give a day seminar. And I went to Toronto and he got three people. And uh, he himself couldn't come. And it was like, oh, really? I've just come all the way to Toronto. And I had a throbbing headache, which I very, very rarely get. And I was thinking, this is going to be tough. So he turned up and uh, actually there's four people, four people. Um, one person from Toronto who actually knew a friend of mine in my hometown. Uh, two people had flown in from California and one, people, one person from Chicago. So we had a funny little gathering. And it was absolutely extraordinary. It was just a, an absolutely amazing day. And I remember leaving and walking home by the lakes and just skipping, going, oh, my God, how lucky am I to be able to share this with people? So ever since that day, it feels like, oh, well, there's a small group. We got the chance to do something really special. So and how could it not have been great with you there? Oh, well, you're very sweet, Nina. Thank you. That's, that's, uh, I will take that. Thank you. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll really, um, we'll dive in, in deep here. Um, and for those of you that, that like Angela, that know my, um, older work, like the Jesus mysteries where I'm looking at Gnosis, I want, well, maybe I'll say a few words about all these books that I've written. The evolution of my journey as a, it's as an author, but it's not really as an author. It's really as a person, as a human being. You know, as a human being, I am face to face with this every morning I wake up. And this is happening. And I don't know what it is. 
And I, I want to know what it is as best as I can. And I want to know what it is as best as I can, because I want to live it as fully as I can. And how would I know what to do with it if I don't know what it is? So in order to live, I need to know what it is as best as I can, given that you know, we're here for a blink of an eye in a very big universe. And on that journey, I've had the chance to write all these books, which has been great because it's given me the opportunity to really dive into that question. And the first phase of my writing was to look at, because I'd experienced um, a spontaneous awakening when I was 12, uh, just looking at this, uh, looking at my little hometown in the southwest of England and musing about the mystery, which was always there for me, always. This like, what is this? Why is it? Why am I? Where's the, why is the suffering? What, what about death? You know, all of those things. And then something happened and I didn't know what it was. But looking back, it was the first time I'd ever experienced what I now think of as a deep awake state, where suddenly I was immersed in this all-embracing love and this, this, this sense of communion or oneness with everything. So that sent me off on the journey that I've been following really to work out what happened to me, how can I experience it again, how can I go deeper, and how can I understand life in the light of this shift, um, which made such a big impression on me and continues to make a big impression on me. And as I've had the, the chance now to travel around the world sharing the experience with lots of people, hundreds it must be, uh, I've seen it makes a big impression on them. Uh, so it feels really important. So part of that has been, in my early phase, was, was, was really investigating all of these different traditions spirit around the world, and diving into all of them experientially and philosophically, and recognizing what others have recognized before me, that there's, there's a kind of a commonality here. There's something in common. And what's in common, I think, is it's human beings, and they're having similar experiences and then trying to understand them according to their own culture and their own language and their own way. And that's often called the perennial philosophy, the idea that there's this perennial truth. And then the book that Angela mentioned before we were um, uh, recording and, and Bhima mentioned, The Jesus Mysteries, which was our really big um, bestseller, which kind of changed everything, was, was diving into Christianity. The, the tradition I'd been brought up in, um, I'd almost become a friar twice, run away to a friary and, and thought maybe I'd join there. I thank God every day that I didn't, uh, but uh, it was possible. And, and, but I didn't see this perennial philosophy as clearly in Christianity until we dived into it um, with my dear friend Peter Gandhi, who I'd been exploring with since we were children, and saw that it was there absolutely was there in the Gnostic tradition. And that was a very important moment for me. After that, I think my work really began, actually. This last period, for me, is by far the most consequential, because it's not about the past, it's about the future. And what I was, what was, you know, I have to tell you, you know, after, when you have a bestseller, everybody wants you to stay writing the same thing forever because you just sold a lot of books. So I was Mr. Jesus and I had to stay Mr. Jesus. And it was like, it was really hard because my publisher and my agent and everyone was, oh no, more books like that. 
but I wasn't interested in doing that. And, you know, probably if I'd stayed with that, we'd probably have 500 of us here today. But I chose not to, and I'm glad. Because what I felt was, where's this going to go next? I could see that spirituality had evolved and changed. And I could see that the, all of the figures that interested me and that I loved, actually, were all figures, whether it's you know, the Gnostics, Valentinus, Paul, and those people, or Bodhidharma with Zen, or Jalaluddin Rumi with Sufism, or Lao Tzu, any of these figures, was that they had taken what they had found and moved it on significantly. And so it felt like the important thing here is, to, is not to write about these people, but to do what they did. And what they did was they moved it on. So what would a 21st century spirituality look like now? And, and how much of it would it need to change? And that set me off on a journey, um, which led to the book I'm going to talk about today, which is called Soul Story, Evolution and the Purpose of Life. And I have to tell you, uh, it's led beyond that, because that journey has been one of discovering I was wrong about a lot of things, which has been immensely exciting and slightly humbling. Well, not slightly humbling, very humbling, actually. And it's still going on. Um, and Soul Story was merely the start. I thought it was the finish, but it turned out to be the start. And I'm working on a more expansive project. And really what I'm going to be talking about is that today because i want to just i've got i just want to talk from the cutting edge where i where i'm at now because that's what i've got to offer you and we may never meet again so i'd like to give got an hour and a half i want to give as much as i can to you and all the people that are listening to this later um because i hope it might be of some use so you know, what is this I've done this whole series. You might want to check it out if you haven't seen it called what is life where i've it's been an excuse really for me to talk to some people I really like and find interesting, like uh, Ian McGilchrist and Ken Wilbur and Rupert Sheldrake and lo lo loads of others, and literally just have a conversation with them originally in person and then after COVID on Zoom going, what is it? And getting their answer and then discussing that answer with them. And so I'm going to give you my... You had one with John Gerbeke too? Yes, I did. Okay. Yes, I did. And I really enjoyed that one immensely. So I'm going to give you my answer to that, that question or the provisional answer I've arrived at right now and expand it into why I think it can form the basis of a new spirituality. You know, when I, I did my, uh, my TED talk in, in Berkeley, actually, and I ended that with this, I thought it was a bit cheeky when I did it, but I, afterwards I thought it really isn't by saying, look, a new understanding is coming. And this is my contribution to it. And, you know, I don't, it, that now seems so obvious. Of course, a new understanding is coming. What, you think it's finished? <laughs> it's like, no more, we've arrived? Of course not. There is going to be a completely new understanding coming. When it comes, what it is, who knows, but it will come. And we have to keep moving towards it. And, and part of what that needs to be, I think, is an understanding which can bring together the deep wisdom around the states of awakening that we have in the spiritual traditions with this incredible scientific knowledge we've gained over the last 
few hundred years, which means that you can be in one country, I can be in another, and we can all connect like this, which is actually, to anyone else in history, would be miraculous, utterly, utterly miraculous. So what would that be? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to just jump in with, a, with a, quite a big sentence and then unpack it for you, make sense of it. I want to suggest, this is my hypothesis, the, this is the one in relationship with itself realizing in a process of realizing potentiality in ever more emergent ways. Now, I'm not expecting you to get what I'm saying there, but I'm going to repeat it and then I'm going to unpack it. This is the one in relationship with itself in a process of realizing potentiality in ever more emergent ways. Let's take the first bit. It's very common in spiritual traditions to go it's all one and it's a fairly obvious intuition the universe is a one it's a universe it's a it's, it's a it's a whole but it isn't just a one and lots of the especially the modern spiritual traditions that just talk about oneness 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 not two not two miss i think is that it's not just one it's one in relationship with itself and it has taken all of these individuated forms and everything is arising from that oneness and is the one in relationship with itself, including you and me. And how have we got there as you and me? We've got there through this incredible process, which we now understand some of, of evolution, of one thing leading to another thing. And as far as we know, that's been going on in our universe for about 14 billion years. And through that process, we have literally gone from what was there 14 billion years ago, like hydrogen, basically, and a bit of helium. You just get that, a universe in which there's nothing but hydrogen and helium. That's what exists. And here we are 14 billion years later, and it's turned into you and me having a conversation about the nature of the universe. I mean, just that is worth just sitting with a bit, isn't it? Doesn't that just blow your mind? So that oneness, that singularity that has exploded into potentiality has arrived at us. So, my, the idea, the philosophical idea, which I have fallen in love with because of its elegance, is can we understand everything as one process of evolution? Everything. Everything that has form, everything that has any qualities to it, Anything which exists has arisen in one process, which starts with the simplest things you can imagine and becomes richer and richer and richer and richer. So the relationship of the one to itself 
is evolving. And in that evolution, there is the emergence. It's a scientific buzzword, but I really like it. The emergence of brand new qualities all the time. And if you look at the big sweep of that, you can see the arising of the physical universe. And then there was no life. And then there was. And then life arose from the physical universe. Things which were just chemicals became living organisms. And then from biology came something utterly extraordinary, which is the psyche. This experience you're having right now of ideas. There was no psyche, and then there was psyche. Now, words, are, words have power, and words have themselves evolved, because I'm suggesting everything's evolved. So it's worth, with words, sometimes it's worth looking at their etymology. Where have they come from? What do they mean? And, and if you go back, you often find the, the root of a word contains its, the essence of the idea. And the word psyche is the Greek word for soul. The word soul is, is from a um, Germanic root. And the word psyche is Greek. They mean the same thing. And what they're referring to isn't originally, isn't some esoteric concept to do with theology. They're referring to something utterly obvious, which is that you are experiencing two dimensions of reality all the time. One of which is the sensory domain of the body and the biology and matter, and the other is a non-sensory imaginal reality in which there is thoughts and images and dreams and all of that. My favorite way of getting this, if you've seen my work before you, this will be a repeat, but I, I do like it because you just see it, right? Is like, look, in the world of the body, you're seeing me and I'm making funny noises and the funny noises are coming through the internet and they're vibrating the air and then they're vibrating your ear and they're going in and in your brain and then ideas are arising in your psyche. But there is no meaning in the vibrating air. There's no meaning in all the electronics that's between us. The meaning exists in the psyche and it's decoded once the, 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 the sound reaches your psyche. So this is the emergence of a whole new level of reality, and we're experiencing it all the time. So what I'm suggesting is, look, if you, one of the lovely things that's happened in physics is, I don't want to get too much into quantum physics or anything, because I, or partly because I think it's so dreadfully misunderstood in spiritual circles, but one thing which it does point to is that actually before matter, we need to think of, the fundamental nature of the universe is information. And when you look at the quantum world, it isn't matter. It's probability waves. These are, these are mathematical entities, meaning it's a level of reality best studied by things like maths, which deal with information, pure information. So this, so we can go, there's an informational level of reality, which evolves into a matter level, which evolves into a biological level, which evolves into a psychic level, into the soul, right at the end. So what I'm suggesting is, is like ev that everything which exists 
exists somewhere in that great spectrum of unfolding. And then the question becomes, so what would be the, the simplest thing? Where would it start? What would be the simplest quality? And the word that works for me is the old Greek term, or it's a translation, which is being. That being is in the process of becoming. It's a very old idea, but it's a very deep one. And it fits very much with our modern understanding in science, which I'm going to bring in spirituality in a moment, which is my main purpose. So that we can again take an image from physics. Physics talks about the fundamental nature of reality as information informing fields. Like the great revelation of the last sort of hundred years has been the fundamental nature of physics isn't matter. It's information in fields. So we can imagine a field of being that is informed. And that it's that there's a commonality. And just look around you. What's the one quality that everything has? It's kind of obvious, but the one quality that everything has is being. Everything that exists has being, because that's why it exists. And then all of the other qualities are different and they've evolved. So what I'm suggesting is that the oneness of being is in relationship to itself. And in that relationship, it has evolved into everything. And that includes the soul, the psyche. Now, a big difference for me, and we might be able to go into this, I'm not going to push it right now, but when we, we're going to have loads of questions, I hope, in a minute. But it, the big thing for me is like the, the mistake that science makes, in my view, it's not really science, it's the philosophy associated with science by some people, but it's quite common, is this idea that really everything should be reduced to the simplest thing. So really, the soul, the psychic, that's really your brain. That's all it is. And really, your brain is really just chemicals. And, you know, my love for my wife, that's just a chemical. And that thought you're having, you think you're having a thought, but really, it's just a biological relationship between neurons. And all of that comes down to physics. And physics really comes down to these quantum particles, and that's what's real. And that if we had a theory of everything which explained all of this, you'd actually understand the whole universe, because all of that is a side effect of what's really there. I think that's utterly wrong, and I think science is recognizing that's utterly wrong. It's a kind of leftover from the 17th century, actually, for reasons we can go into. It's, an, it's, a, it's a crazy idea. Actually, the more emergent levels are real on a new level, and they're not, and they're not, cannot be reduced. That's the whole point. You know, if, uh, the example that always works for me is, you know, you think my body is made up of chemicals, but if you had a big pile of those chemicals on this chair, I, I, I'm thinking, I'm hoping it wouldn't be as eloquent as I am, because there's something more that makes me. And what makes me is an extra level of information, which brings all those chemicals together as a body, and then a whole nother level of information, which makes my psyche function. So let's bring in spirituality, because that's where I want to go. So, I'm, so I, this is not reductionist. I'm not saying it's really information. I'm not saying it's really the matrix or anything like that. I'm saying there's one process 
incredible process of creative process in which new potentials have constantly been realized because what is what is being it's the potential to become anything that's what it is and it has become this and who knows what it's going to become next 40 billion years in it's become all of this where is it going where is it going when people ask about you know where's the future what i nearly always come across if you you know if you're grazing on the internet then what you'll come across i think is an awful lot of people uh, talking about new technology and ai and all of that and you know what i reckon that'll happen i reckon that'll happen and that's going to be i think it'll be great a lot of people worry it'll be terrible probably it'll be a mixture of both but just stop for a moment it's like okay but all of that technology which will continue has come from all of our understanding come from the explosion of knowledge but all of that is actually comes from the human imagination you know we i don't think we live in the information age i think we live in the age of the imagination we have a, someone imagined zoom and now it's here someone imagined cameras and microphones and now it's here everything has been through the imagination that's the psyche that's the soul It's the age of the soul we're in, and that ability to dream—that is is the that is the most emergent thing on the planet, and it's created all of this in a very short period of time, comparatively. And whilst my body hasn't really evolved, and and you know that's the biological evolution is still happening, but it's slower. The evolution of the psyche. Wow. You can't keep up with it anymore, can you? It's just like too much. It's like wow, it's just like an express train what's happening. So if it's the psyche that's evolving, what's the where's that going to go next? Where there's all the you know individual things like visions of technology and artistic visions and that's wonderful. But is there something genuinely new e.g. more emergent that may be coming? and I, i think there is i want to suggest that that deep wake experience i was talking about earlier i had when i was 12 and i've been exploring ever since which people throughout the ages have touched the gnosis the experience of oneness something transcendent I think it's the leading edge of this even 14 billion years of evolution. And those individuals have been forerunners for us and they've tried to understand it as best they can with the language and understanding available to them. They didn't have any of the things I've just talked about, but we do. So they had a very different understanding of it. They thought it was an escape. They thought they were trapped in matter. They thought that the world was a fallen place nearly all of the traditions think this that, that this is an illusion it's a, a dream in which we fall in a sleep god has got lost in his dream all of those sort of ideas plato says the body is a tomb it's very negative about life and then the positive bit is you can get out and avoid suffering and 
get away. And, and not a surprise that people felt like that because life is still pretty hard. But in the past, life was really hard. You know, if you're living in a world where most of your kids will die and there's no dentists, you know, you may want to get out. And so you get the traditions like Buddhism and all the rest, all of them, which is a, so, and this awakening feels like, oh, I can get out. But I want to suggest we, the time has come now to turn it on its head and go, this isn't about getting out. And actually it never was. We just didn't understand it at the time. This isn't a fallen universe. It's an evolving universe. And this movement towards this experience of oneness is what happens when an individual, which an individual is the one, an expression of the one in relationship with itself. What else could we be? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, what else could we be? You think we exist somehow separately from it? We're made of it. We're made of ancient stars, for heaven's sake. Our bodies are. Every idea has come from the past. Every word has been said before by somebody else. We're just expressions of it. And then we're meeting it. So what happens when we recognize that, really recognize that? And we no longer think, well, I'm Tim, I'm separate. And we go, no, I'm not. I'm Tim, yes, but I'm not separate. I'm Tim that's an expression of the oneness of the whole universe, meeting the whole universe. And because I'm doing that, the universe is conscious of itself through me. And it's been developing and developing for 14 billion years. And now there it is. It can be conscious. Now, what happens when, I, when, when well, it happened to me when I was 14, it may have happened to you, and it's happened to lots of people, it's happening to more and more people. When you recognize that oneness, you sense the oneness of being, what the Zen people call the isness of everything. And suddenly, you're in communion with the universe. And, and what comes with that is, in my experience, this enormous love. Because love is how oneness feels. You know, you love somebody, you feel one with them, or you commune with them, you love, you, you feel like love. And then you can enter a place where you're one with everything and everyone. And there's this enormous big love. I, I often call it, it's a universal benevolence. It's a, I, I call it that because, you know, I realized one day, you know, that big love, that does come and go, I think. Because, you know, in my experience, you couldn't live in it because you're just so gooey and kind of like, it's just too much. But that leaves behind a kind of universal benevolence. Even, you know, and I, over the years, as I've gone deeper and deeper, that's always there. Even when I'm not, you know, even when I'm shouting at the TV because somebody said something stupid or, you know, whatever it is. I still wish them well. I really, really wish them well. Because this sense of oneness leads to that. So when I look at what's been happening in the world, what I see is this the evolution of, first of all, look, look at the, we've talked about it already, but just to re, look at the explosion of our understanding, of our wisdom, and what we know. I mean, it, it's, it's unthinkable 
to any other generation. To, and, and we so easily miss it. You can, I can see with my kids, they've come into it. They take it for granted. It's like that. You know, it's only if you actually have, if you have, if you need to have temp, what I call temporal depth. You need to understand history. You need to understand this has come from the past. And then when you see the past, you can see how far we've come. Because, you know, I, they are like, you know, when I came into the world, I just thought, well, this is a lot of nonsense. What's going on? Let's change this. <laughs> what I didn't do was look at how bad it was before and think, oh, we're doing quite well, aren't we? And that's kind of good. But the fact is we are doing well, incredibly well. And, and one, of the, one of the things I want to really push is, you know, we focus on everything that's wrong. And that's kind of, we should notice what's wrong and try and make it better. But we also need to realize how we've evolved, especially recently. It's quite extraordinary. So our understanding has evolved, but not just. With that has come an explosion of compassion. I mean, the world is so much more compassionate than it has ever, ever, ever been. By such a difference, it's astonishing that most people think it's getting worse. Because it's so much better. At no other time, you know, we've got this war at the moment. Horrendous. But what's historically extraordinary, first of all, that we've, it's been so long since the last war in Europe. That's never happened before. And secondly, that vast areas of the world, probably the majority of the world, think it's terrible and feel genuine compassion and concern for people they'll never meet in a country they'll never visit that has no impact on them whatsoever. There is no other time in history where that was the case. You know, I'm English. Most of our history is fighting the French, the Scots, and the Irish, our neighbors. Vast bloodshed and enslaving people. And oh, my God. And that wasn't because we were particularly bad people. That's just because we were good at it. Because if we weren't good at it, then they would have done it to us. Because that was the nature of what humanity thought. People survived by cooperating within the group and massive, brutal competition outside the group. That has changed. There is genuine compassion. More and more people sense, okay, I may be of this race, I may be of this culture, but I'm also part of the one human family. That's a new thing. There's always been small groups but not like today. So that's grown. Our knowledge has grown. Our compassion has grown. Our sense of who we are has expanded. So now the idea of doing terrible things to your neighbors, it's like, mm, no, you know, we don't do that anymore. We don't do that anymore. I mean, one of the things that always strikes me about the last big war in Europe, my father fought in it. You know, as a young boy, he was out there killing Germans. My mother was shot at by, plane, by airplanes on her way to school. But what's interesting about it is, you know, it's like, is that Adolf Hitler is seen as the epitome of evil now. But if he'd lived 2,000 years before, he might have been like Alexander. He might have been called Adolf the Great or Charlemagne the Great. 
Or like Richard the Lionheart, he might be Adolf the Lionheart, who took over huge areas of the world and laid waste and created an empire. Didn't last, but hey, he still did it. But we don't do that. Why? Why don't we do that? Because he did it in the 20th century. And we'd evolved. And we'd evolved to the point where we, we don't do that anymore. That's the past. We've left that behind. So these huge momentum changes has happened. And I think they are all movements towards this stepping into what I call the univigil. And it's a word I made up because there wasn't a word for it. So what I mean by a univigil is an individual conscious of unity. And I think what's happening is we're seeing the birth of the individual. And I know, you know, when I started talking about oneness and the experience of oneness, I started running events around the world maybe 20 years ago, a bit more, 30 years. I would talk about it and people would look at me with these blank expressions, the honest truth. Like, what are you talking about? Is that any use to me? I, uh, what? <laughs> now, everyone knows what I mean. Either they have experienced it or they want to experience it. But people are like, yeah, okay, I, I, I'm getting this. Because what's happening is to us collectively is we are evolving. Now, I'm going to throw in, so, 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 so what I'm suggesting here in essence is like, okay, we need a spirituality, a new one. And that needs to take in on board science. Well, science has got this incredible story, incredible story about the emergence of everything through this process of evolution. I think that's, let's embrace that. What if everything, including the truths of spirituality, are not eternal things or it's not about a realm we've fallen from? It's actually the opposite. It's something we're growing into. And that, what that does to spirituality is a few, I'm just going to touch on a few things that changes. One of the things is, it is very, very common, you might well have come across it, that you're told, or as I was told when I was younger, if you want the experience of oneness, you have to get rid of your separateness. So what's in the way of you having that enlightenment is Tim. He's in the way. You have to get rid of Tim. Get rid of your ego, get rid of yourself, and then you'll see it's all one. Because you've fallen into Tim, and now you're stuck and you need to escape him. Uh, he's, he's the problem. What this view says is the opposite of that. You know, that, that view worked for me. You know, I kind of went along with that because I could look at Tim and go, yeah, he looks like he is the problem, doesn't he? I reckon that could be right. Until I had a, a, a daughter. And then looking at her little eyes the first time they opened and looking, looked into mine, and it was like, no one's going to tell me that the individual doesn't matter or is a mistake or is in the way. This is beautiful. The individual is... You know, I will die for this individual. And love is about the individual. So I, I was looking for a different way of understanding it, and here it is, which goes, look, Tim isn't the obstacle from which I, which I have to get rid of. Tim and you and all of us, Tim is the foundation. The universe has arisen as this individual who is Tim, and then from that it can go, oh, I'm the whole thing. And Tim isn't in the way. Tim is enabling that to happen. And what Tim needs to do is keep evolving. And it gets rid of the idea that there's some ultimate state that you should be in. And if you haven't, then you failed. Because there is no ultimate state. It's open-ended. 
Who knows where it's going to go next? There is no enlightenment. There's ever more creative ways for the universe to arise through you and me. We are the universe creating itself, creating the future. In a very straightforward way, I mean that. Here's the next step. What's going to happen next? So it turns it around. So instead of a spirituality which is about the fall, it's a spirituality which is about, it's not falling from grace, it's, it's evolving into grace. It's arising into grace. Now, because we have an elite group here tonight, I'm going to share an idea I often don't because it seems like such a big one. I should keep it back, but I'm going to share it because it, it's, I love it. And it feels like the, the idea to end on and, th and then we can chat. And that's another spiritual idea. I've talked about this awakening. Well, there's lots of spiritual ideas I haven't had a chance to talk about. But there's another big spiritual idea, and that's an idea that gets called God. And it's a really difficult word. And sometimes I think I should try and avoid it because it's got so much baggage with it and people understand it in so many different ways. But here's what I mean by it. When I was 12 years old and I had my very first experience, the only vocabulary I had was the Christian vocabulary because I went to church when I was young and, and on my own, actually. My parents didn't go, but I used to go. And uh, so it was like, oh, this is God. There, I was told God is love, and there it was. And it was, wow, tears, and this is it. But over the years, there's some problems with that. Because what I was experiencing was this being of love, this utter goodness, this transcendent thing just holding me and everyone within it in this beautiful, benign way. But the traditional view of God is that God is the creator. God is this super wise being who creates and runs and controls, all-powerful, all-knowing, at the beginning of time. Now, there's a number of problems with that philosophically, and, and philosophical problems aren't abstract. They're real-life real problems because, you know, when you hit suffering or you hit death, you better have a good understanding, otherwise you'll be really lost. But the problems, in, in very quickly, are the traditional ones, which is, well, if there's a good God, why is the world so horrible? And there's lots of clever reasons for that, none of which work for me. You know, when I look at a little girl being eaten from the inside by a parasite, it's like, no, there's no reason for that. If there's a God who runs the show, I want words. I don't like him. That's not good enough. So that doesn't work. As an explanation of the universe, people often say to me, you know, but there must be a God there because look at the intelligence of the universe. It comes from somewhere. It must come from a, a super intelligence. And my feeling is, look, all you've done is you've answered one huge question, which is where did the universe come from, with an even bigger question, which is well, where did God come from or, or what's God? So you've answered nothing. You've got nowhere. So philosophically, it's of no use whatsoever. And, and the image you have is you know, why all the cruelty. And also, as we've understood, you know, there's this kind of not just the problem of evil. There's the problem of what I call the problem of absurdity. Because we now know that the universe, through its process of evolution, we had 250 million years of dinosaurs. And it's just hard for me to work out why a clever, benevolent creator would go, 
yeah, let's have 250 billion, million years of dinosaurs before we move on to soul and thinking and consciousness. Let's just have, just have a long period of just big reptiles tearing each other to shreds. Doesn't make any sense to me. And yet, I have this experience, and you may too, or you may have had it, lots of people do, of something really beautiful and benign and loving and transcendent. So this is the idea I want to end this little presentation with, because it's where it all goes for me. I said what's emerging is the individual, and that is what is emerging, I think. But through the emergence of the individual, I think something else is coming into being, something quite extraordinary, which could be called God. So that what I'm playing with here is that God isn't at the beginning. God isn't where it comes from. God is where it's going. Why? Because it starts with the simplest thing you can imagine. It just is. But it is, and it's the potential to become anything. Well, what's the most emergent thing it could become? The universe conscious of itself, perhaps? And if it was conscious of itself, that oneness would feel like love, perhaps. And that when we commune with the universe in that oneness as individuals, we come into communion with each other. We come into a communion of souls. And I wonder whether the transcendent being isn't running the show at all, but is arising from it. And that as we come into that communion, it becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And that just as in the same way, my body is this, an, is this incredible communion of individual cells. Once there was only single cellular life, but all those cells have joined together and become Tim and you. And they're all cooperating in such a way that something more than them is now here. Tim, psyche, thought, consciousness. As we come into communion with the oneness of everything, do we form a communion of souls like the communion of cells through which something greater than us is arising? So that the universe doesn't come from God, it is flowering into something you could call God. You could, that could be also the wrong name for you. doesn't matter. The transcendent being. And I don't know what that is any more than a cell in my finger knows what Tim is. But I do know what it's like to commune in it. And that's love. That's this agape, meta, this all-embracing love, which people have been ex experiencing and talking about for hundreds and hundreds of years, and which I think is increasing exponentially. And how fast that happens, who knows? But I feel it's up to us. The more of us ride the wave, the stronger the wave is. And that is 
what I wanted to share with you. So thank you so much for showing up and uh, letting me do that. And, and I've left uh, 40 minutes for us so that we can go anywhere you want. And we've got a lovely little group here. So just uh, take that, you know, anything I wasn't clear on, then I'm very happy to explore it. Anything you, you think, oh, I disagree with that, I'm happy to explore that. And anything else which I haven't mentioned, we can go there for 40 minutes. So I can see you all. So you can just wave at me and unmute yourself and we can see what happens. Yeah, Nina. <clears throat> Thank you for that. That you, you brought tears to my eyes. That's always wonderful. Um, and I'm, you know, I was thinking that, um, like consciousness. Where where does consciousness fit? I mean, it's it sounds like what you're saying is consciousness evolved from, and I was thinking maybe everything evolved from consciousness. That the universe evolved from consciousness and, and so it's a little bit of chicken and egg um just curious how you'd respond to that and also in in the second question is um i've been wanting to have a second experience well i mistakenly thought oh i want to live in that place but like you said you can't okay so i i've accepted that like and now i'm wondering if it's like lightning doesn't strike twice in the same place because it doesn't need to like maybe I'm not having another one of those oneness experiences because I don't need to. It's not necessary because I hear some people get to redo it. They get to have multiple ones. I'm like, dang, I want that. But maybe, maybe I don't need to. Well, the two fantastic questions. I mean, brilliant. Great, great questions because the, the consciousness question is the big philosophical question that I haven't touched on. And so you've gone straight to that. And then the other one is like, why it matters, which is like, how do you experience this again? And so let me deal with the second one first, and then we'll go for the more thoughty one. The first thing is, I just think, you know, look, look, this is a very emergent thing. So to have it once is amazing. You know, it's like to fall in love once is amazing. Uh, but. I also think it can happen again and again and again and again. And what I do in my, you know, I'm, I'm in the UK now because of traveling problems, but I run events, retreats. I've got one coming up at the end of April, beginning of May. And what, what I've done is devise ways in which you can really set the scene to encourage one of these experiences so that a lot of people have them. Um, in different ways. Uh, so I'm pretty convinced that we can have them. I really am. And uh, my check out some of the things which I've got online, the, 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 you know, those various things I've got, meditations and blah, blah, blah. But really, and I'm sure you're doing this anyway, Nina, really, it's like just, I think for me, it's like stay open. Stay open to not only it coming again, but actually another level of it another you know a more you know more emergent thing again with that sense also which you've got which you know i love and respect to hear hear you saying it which is just to have it once changes everything doesn't it and so there's plenty of there's plenty of evolving and growing to be done just from that 
and there's you know there's people who would love to have it once and i would love to have everyone to have it as much as possible and uh, and including me uh, and 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 for me the secret i you know, this is what i do at my events the secret of the event the, the real breakthrough for me was when i got people connecting with each other hence this communion of souls so 20 years ago i did something which i'd never done i mean people have always done it but i'd never done it i thought what would happen if i just sat everyone down and got them looking in each other's eyes and actually connecting. What happens if I sat in down, sat in each other, created a really beautiful environment because beauty is very emergent, you know, be, that's worth taking in that beauty has evolved. You know, you know, I remember going out near my house one night and it was a magic night because on the one hand, the sun was going down. On the other hand, the moon was coming up. Like opposite play it was like oh my god and looking at the cows in the field and none of them gave a care about it they didn't none of them they weren't like wow have you seen that moon <laughs> they're like yeah i'm eating grass it's like this has evolved the the ability for the beauty for the for the universe to see itself as beautiful has evolved so it's really emergent so create beauty beauty is very good at awakening us and i get people to connect in that and, and just to get that sense, you can get it probably with me right now, where you look at somebody's face and you go, wow, there's a face that's a living being. But that what I'm really connecting with is a psyche, a soul. And I can't see that. I can't see it, but I know it's there. And I can connect with it so that right now, right now I'm looking at you, Nina. It's like something you can't see is connecting with something I can't see. And then if you sit with that, and then if you go really deep, Suddenly you can be like, oh, the universe is looking at itself. Oh, wow. Oh. And that for me has been the secret to introduce people to this experience. So it's not as, it's, you know, when I was doing it when I was young, it was all individual. Close your eyes, go into meditation, disappear off. And then I found like, no, don't do that. Well, you can do that as well. It's nice. But, you know, but look like I'm looking at Angela's eyes now. It's like you look at somebody's eyes and it's like, wow. That other being, Patrice, Gordon, it's like, you know, and then you come into this communion and that whole line, you know, in the gospels where two or more are gathered together, I'll be there. It's like, yeah, when two or more come into communion, there it is. So that's, that's my few words on the practical thing. Uh, the other one is a very big question and I'm going to give you, so one of the big changes for me is that, I st is that the traditional idea in spirituality, and it's very common at the moment, especially, is, is all consciousness. And it's an Indian idea, but it's common in other traditions as well. I've written about it a lot. Most of my books say that, and I was wrong, I think. I think I've been completely wrong about it. Um, I think, and the reason is there's a lot to be said about the reasons why, and there's a number of videos called Why I Was Wrong About Consciousness, which you can check out later. So uh, there's at least two of them. Um, but I'll say what I think, why, why, some of the reasons I think that, although the key reason is, is that for this idea to work that I'm exploring, the idea is that what's the simplest quality? Well, the simplest quality isn't consciousness. Consciousness is a pretty complex thing to be conscious of something, to recognize it, to know it. What, so the idea that it's, that's already there, like what would that even mean? So it feels like, no, 
it's become conscious and conscious and also consciousness looks when I, you know, I wonder if, I think it's actually not even a thing. I think consciousness is an activity. I am conscious of things like I'm conscious of you. I'm conscious of the room. It's relational. It's the relationship between a subject and, and the universe. So that the oneness isn't consciousness. The oneness is something which becomes conscious through the evolving relationships. And suddenly that seems a lot more obvious to me, which is why I've rejected the old idea. Because then you look at the universe and you go, well, it's always in relationship. All the basic particles of the universe are in relationship with the universe and each other, but they're not conscious. There, there's electrochemical relationships going on. And then that will become life. And to begin with, that's not conscious, but it's but the, the relationships are more complex. And then once you get uh, certain animal, early animals, you can see the beginnings of what you might call consciousness. And what I think consciousness is, is much simpler than is often, we often think. So as an experiment, have a look at this moment right now. And I suggest you are conscious of whatever you pay attention to. So I'm not conscious, or I wasn't conscious, of my left foot, but I am now because I'm thinking about it, and, I, and you could be. Yeah, You weren't conscious of your left foot, but you might be now, and if you put your attention in it, you will be. And whatever you pay attention to suddenly becomes really vivid, and everything you're not paying attention to is not so much. So here what I think, I think consciousness is paying attention. It's a way of processing information about the universe in high definition. So that what happens with animals is they start taking in the most enormous information, amount of information about the, about the universe. They develop senses. You can listen, you can hear, you can touch. And also with animals, you get the, you know, with the evolution of life, you get the evolution of death. So as an animal, you need to eat <laughs> and not be eaten and reproduce. And you're receiving this huge amount of information to help you do that, most of which is completely irrelevant. You know, if I had to be conscious all the time of the feeling of my shirt on my shoulders, it would just be very irritating. But luckily, I can just go unconscious to that and, pay and be conscious of you. So what's happened is that we've learned to focus our, our processing. We focused our ability to take in the universe. And I think that's what consciousness is. It's the universe in relationship to itself in a very intensely focused way. The vast majority is quite happy to go on unconsciously, but then it developed the ability to focus and it becomes this. And then from that, it's developed the ability to focus on its own processing which has developed the psyche. And then the psyche has developed into a whole massive domain. And it, it, I mean, my experience, if you go into the psyche, it's a whole world. And it's not a world which is just in, you know, it's not just in my head. It's like a whole domain of reality, which is what shamans and spiritual people have been exploring for hundreds and hundreds of years. So that's where I've ended up, Nina. I don't know if that meant I was very quick, but that maybe some ideas to, to play with. Anyone else want to take us somewhere? 
anywhere at all. I'm all yours. Or to comment on it. Angela, thank you. There we go. So um, something that you said really uh, triggered a, a thought. Um, you mentioned, and, and I've questioned some of these too, like why did we need the dinosaurs? Why, you know, because I used to wonder if if there's a God, why didn't God just jump straight to the end? If God is all knowing, why did why did you know he have to go through all of this? He or she, and why did we have to have all of this? And I remember in in when I I don't remember what I was taking. It was a, a maths class. Uh, we learned that in order to say get to five, you have to go through one, two, three, and four. Right? You can't just jump to five. And and I heard you mention that um, you know you realize now some of your beliefs or some of the things that you talked about earlier were wrong. And it felt like, at least for me, all of a sudden, all of those things sort of clicked. And maybe it wasn't that they were wrong, but that you had to go through those to get to where you are now. Yeah. Um, and, and then it also, it, it helped me realize, so a lot of the things that maybe happened to me or that I went through, maybe they weren't wrong or, or necessarily bad. Um, I know that that's a connotation we give it, but those, those were things that happened and I'm here now because of those and I'm here and I'm, I'm talking to you and I'm with these wonderful people and, and I'm just in the little bit of time that you talked, I feel like all of these like things have clicked and now I've got more questions and, you know, I'm, I'm excited about this process again, instead of feeling like I'm just sort of trudging through and working through stuff. Um, and like I said, it doesn't, maybe there's not a purpose necessarily in, but maybe the purpose is to get me to the next point. And, and maybe that's what it was, you know, instead of it being wrong, maybe that's just where you were then and it's gotten you to here. Um, and, and I'm excited to see where this takes you because I feel like I'm, I'm on a similar path and you're ahead and I'm really excited to see where you go and, um, and learning more and reading your, your latest book um, to understand better. And, and so to that, I, I did hear you mention that you thought, uh, what is it, metaphysics and spirituality, like the metaphysical realm kind of had it wrong. I really want to hear more about that. And I also want to understand more about what you mentioned about the 17th century, because my daughter and I are huge Horrible Histories fans. And watching that show has really enlightened me as to how much better things have gotten because we were really bad <laughs> a long time ago. So, yeah. you know, and, um, and just seeing how it's, it's progressed. So I, I want to hear your thoughts about the 17th century and what you think about metaphysics and, and kind of them, that realm, not really quite getting it with spirituality. Fantastic. Well, how lovely. Yes, of course. That's the thing, isn't it? It's like everything, you know, the, the things which you, the excitement of the excitement of finding the new is comes with the humility or of, of realizing that you, 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 you got it wrong. And yet that's, that's part of the, the game of evolving, which, which I, you know, my, my whole thing is like, don't, don't let it end because it's so beautiful. 
Um, so there's a lot of things there, which you've said. There's a lot of interesting things. Um, let's pick up on um, purpose, maybe, for a second, because I think this has something beautiful to say about purpose. It has a lot to say about some really key things um, that touch on a lot of the, how we live our lives. But purpose is one of them, because when I think about purpose, it seems like, ah, maybe it's not, not so much that the universe has a purpose, it's that it is its purpose because this is the process of realizing potentiality in ever more emergent ways. That's what it is. So we're at the leading edge of that. You know, as far as we know, who knows what else exists, but as far as we know, the most emergent thing in the universe is psyche, is you and me. That we're the latest thing. doesn't mean other things aren't of value and the rest of life is fantastic, but the latest thing that's gone, oh, new big, new big jump has been this, which is why we are having, we are the universe having conversations about what's the universe and other life forms aren't. And that realization of potentiality is going, look, that if, if the universe is the realization of potentiality, then if I think, well, so what's Tim's purpose? Well, presumably it's to realize Tim's potential in ever more emergent ways. That's what it, that's what it is. And there's a little, there's a, I've got time to dive into the whole new idea, really, but it's a big one and I love it. Um, and it's important to me. So I'll, I'll, I'll try it, which is about time because it's really going, look, the big, the big insight of science over the last hundred years has been the universe isn't a thing. It's a process. It is this flow of time. That's what it is. I call it the time stream in Sol, in Sol stream. It is a flow of time, which is why you've never experienced anything but a flow of time, and neither have I. It's always one thing after another. And one of the ideas, this is going to come back to the 17th century in a minute, in a very clever way. The, the, one of the uh, things that people assume is that somehow, I don't know, somehow all that exists is the moment, as if there was this kind of moment that all the, and I'm not sure that's, that's true at all. And I'd, it looks to me like, well, if I look at the moment, which is what I experience, I notice two things about it, about the nature of time. One is, it's always new. The relationships of everything that makes up the universe, including me, constantly change. It, I never had a moment ever where I go, Wow, this is the same moment as before. <laughs> you know, it's always new. And one of the reasons why it's always new, even deja vus are always new, is because every moment contains within it implicitly everything that's ever happened in the past. Because in this meeting of us right now, contains me being invited to come, you buying a ticket, me thinking these ideas, you thinking that might be interesting. Oh, you getting born. Oh, the evolution of life. Oh, the big bang. Everything. It has led to this and is implicit in it. So I want to suggest that the that time doesn't pass. It's the wrong metaphor. It's only a metaphor. And it's the wrong one. But actually, a better metaphor is time accumulates, and there's more and more and more of it all the time. 
so that the universe is a process which is 14 billion years old. And all of that, all of the past exists. Everything that's come into form is, is what this is built on. And that enables us to do two things. And this goes back to the thing I was talking about, the 17th century particularly, was to do with the way that science emerged. So the initial scientists, people like Newton, for instance, Newton was an alchemist. You may know that. He's, a, you know, he's, he's often called the, the first of the scientists or the last of the magicians because he was really interested in alchemy. But he was also a genius. And it, it, again, it's hard. Well, even now it stands me that this man could work out for the first time ever simple equations which explained how an apple would fall from a tree and the rotation of all the heavenly bodies, the stars and the, the moon and the sun and the planets. And why that was a huge jump for the esoteric traditions was before it has always been two different realms, but suddenly they were the same realm. Suddenly the universe wasn't the earth and the heavens. The earth and the heavens were all part of one thing, which is, was a whole new thought, really. But they were all coming from the idea of there's a God and he runs the universe. And none of them questioned that. That was going to come much later. So what they understood was the laws like the law. Well, they called them laws. Why do we call them laws? Why is it a law of gravity? Why? Because there's a God. And he proclaimed the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments. And then he laid down some other laws, which we're discovering, which is how things work. So he laid down the laws and then the universe follows those laws. Because they're laid down by God and he's the lawmaker. Well, we don't have a lawmaker anymore. God at the beginning is late. He's gone. Hallelujah. So why do we call them laws? Are they laws? Are there any laws of the universe? And the thing which I'm exploring, which is actually goes back to a, a, a American philosopher called Charles Sanders Peirce, and has been very, very much made famous by Rupert Sheldrake, who I loved a bit. And he's now been picked up by, in a different way, by some physicists. In, in, there's a, one in particular called um, Lee Smolin, uh, who's a top physicist. And it's the idea that there really aren't laws that there's more like habits. And so what I think is happening is as the past accumulates, it creates habits or patterns, or you could say it becomes intelligent. Like the complexity and things tend to repeat, but they can never repeat completely because nothing is ever conditioned completely. The relationships are always changing. So it's creative. And through that, sense of the accumulation of the past, the forming of new patterns, new habits of the universe, so that the, the fundamental habits or the fundamental algorithms, if you prefer, whatever metaphor you use, those are pretty fixed. So physics, you know, it's like that is going to fall, that's going to fall, that's going to fall. It's pretty fixed. I would say it's not totally fixed, but it's pretty fixed. I am also a habit. I do this with my hands and I speak in this accent because of where I was born. I'm, I, I, I have these ways of expressing myself. I'm habitual. But you're not, there's no way you can predict what I'm going to say next. Because that's the leading edge of that process. 
So I call it pastivity. The pastivity is the way the past repeats in a new way. So the pastivity of the universe on a very low level, which is what physics looks at, you can repeat it over and over again. The pastivity that happens on a very high level, you know, if you want to look at the pastivity of someone having a new idea, you can never repeat it. And that's why science fails to understand the more emergent levels. So what happened in the 17th century was we moved into that and we were left this baggage of there are laws of nature. And once you have that idea, then the fundamental laws, you can reduce everything to those fundamental laws. But once you've got the idea of ever expanding patterns, you can't reduce it. And suddenly you're not living in this horrible universe that a lot of people seem to be these days, where the universe is really just matter or just information on a very low level playing out and your thoughts are really just the byproduct of your brain and all of that stuff. And the brain is just a byproduct of, and nothing has meaning. And you're here in this vast empty universe without any purpose whatsoever, long enough to go, what the fuck is going on here? And then you're dead. It's like, you know, that is not a very helpful vision and it's quite common amongst certain people at the moment. So that's what's wrong with that. What's wrong with the spiritual vision is the opposite of that. The traditional vision, both of these I'm grateful for because they, in, their, in their time, there were real breakthroughs, but we need to keep evolving. So the spiritual vision is the one of the fall. So there's gods already there or the, the heavenly realms already there and we've fallen from them. And that's the, the thing you get in esoterica. What I'm suggesting is those realms do exist. And all the things that spirituality explores should be taken seriously, but they've evolved. So this is far too big for me to go in because I've only got 10 minutes, but there is some stuff online you can check out. This will be a little taster. It'll be like, you know, like that little thing they do at the end of Netflix films when it goes, oh, this, <laughs> go on just a bit more. Um, uh, is when the psyche evolved, because, because I, cause I don't think you can reduce psyche to biology. It is more than. I think it opens up a whole domain, which is now another level of information. So you've got pre-physical information, quantum physics. You've got physical information. You've got biological information. You've got imaginal information, images, ideas, psyche. They're not made of matter, are they? Have a look at your ideas right now. They don't exist in space. They're not made of, they're not made of matter. They're a whole different realm. That's what the spiritual traditions have been exploring. My suggestion is it has arisen as a domain of meaning. Like I said earlier, that's where meaning exists, where we dream. And the taster that I can't is too big for me to really go too much into is I think there's been two effects of that. One is I think the psyche, which has originally come from uh, a, a level of the body system has evolved to be independent of it. Um, so that when the spiritual traditions, and it's a key idea in spirituality, which is that the death of the body is not the death of the soul. Uh, and my experience of being around death, which I've done a lot, is that that is correct. I think it's because the immortal soul is not something which has always existed, which has fallen into matter. I think the immortal soul is something which has evolved like everything else. So that when we think about death, we're really going, this level of immateriality of soul that I'm experiencing 
and this level of the senses. When the body dies, clearly I won't be experiencing the senses because that requires my body. But is it possible that I could continue to experience this other reality, this dream reality, if you like, of the psyche? And the evidence from things like near-death experiences, which I think is extremely strong and not taken anywhere near as seriously as it really should be because it's just so extensive now and so particular is that actually we enter a deeper level of psyche and my so my essential um, difference with where i've come from from the esoteric traditions is going that's all true but it has evolved and if you look at the literature i wrote a book years ago called um it was just called heaven actually and it was like looking at different cultures versions of what happens when you die and i just i just was interested and wrote them all down what strikes me now is you can see something evolving so if you look at the early visions of death like the 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 um, greeks it's kind of a land of shades and it's not very well formed and then it's going to become representations of like like dreams but communal dreams because it's a com- the, the psyche is not just like little bubbles around your head. The psyche is a whole domain, a, 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 a commu- a, an ecology. There's an ecology of bodies. There's an ecology of psyches. We're all, they're all related. We're, we're, doing, we're in it now. It's happening right now. And you can see evolving so that you then, you then get, as we, as we move into religious periods, that you see you get then these vast you know, gatherings of Buddhas and saints and the, and then today, it's everything. I mean, people just live in, people report back these experiences they're having from near-death experiences, which are beautiful, vivid um, visions. And then just to connect it with the end of my talk, the common thing which you get, very common, is that there's an encounter with a being of light and love. And I haven't had a near-death experience, but I have had that very deeply indeed. and blew me away. And it's just as they describe. And what strikes me about that is that, that's the, is that the, the idea which people had from that experience, like if you go back to the way it's described in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, it's actually the Bardo Thirol, it's the Liberation through hearing is the actual name of the book, and it's it's uh, it talks about it. The, the image you get in Tibetan Buddhism is uh, you're really that because you've fallen, right? So you're really that you've fallen away, and now you you've got to get back. So when you see it, like dissolve yourself into it, and 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 you know it sounds great, isn't it? Like a like the like a drop of a drop in the ocean. And I can remember thinking, oh, that sounds so good. I quite like the idea of that. And then as I've got older, I started thinking, hang on. <laughs> it's like you read the small print. It's like, hang, hang on. That, so that means if I die and I just dissolve back in, that means all of this trouble being Tim was for nothing. It was just a lot of hassle for nothing. <laughs> the best thing is just to dissolve it away. <laughs> and, and I don't think it is for nothing. I don't think my struggles or yours or my daughters or my mums or any, you know, the people that are living and dying and dead. I don't think their struggles are for nothing. I think they're evolving and they're realizing the purpose of the universe, which is to realize uh, 
potential on more emergent levels. So the difference I've got with that, and this is another big difference with the esoteric traditions, is I don't think we've fallen from it and we need to dissolve back into it. I think we are the sparks that come together to form the light. And that when we die, we get the chance to immerse ourselves in that communion of souls very deeply for a bit. Maybe even a long bit, I don't know. And that your individuality is not something which you leave behind. It's something which enables that to happen. Because the universe in relationship with itself has for four billion years becoming more and more and more and more individual. And through that, more and more and more conscious. And then when we come into that deep communion, we can be so individual and so conscious that we can be conscious that we're all one. And then we're individuals. And that is whatever you want to call it. Transcendent spirit, God, the great mystery, whatever name for that impossible thing to name is that. So there's a few little reaction to all your wonderful questions, Angela. You, you've given me some wonderful things for consideration. Thank you very much. It's such a pleasure. I want to say um, that uh, if you are interested, the, the book is Soul Story. That's the essence of it is in the book Soul Story. Um, there's also my TED Talk, which is worth maybe checking out, and the What is Life series. There's lots of videos out there. Um, but I also have a little online community, which may be of interest to you. And Gordon, who I'm looking at right now, is a face I see most weeks because Gordon is a member of that community, um, called the International Community of Unividuals, which is a name I like because it shortens to the ICU. And as it's about being seeing, seeing each other, I kind of like that. So the ICU is, the inter and we meet up every Sunday um, at seven o'clock UK time, which is, well, depends where you are in America, is, is earlier. Um, but it's a, it's a time which can work for most people around the world. I and mean, we do have people in Australia who turn up at five o'clock in the morning or something for them, but God bless them. And we get together to uh, explore ideas. But I also do, and this might be of interest to you, Nina, particularly, I, I suspect all of you, we also do practical things. So things we can do together online to help our awakening and discuss that level of it, as well as actually forming a genuine community of explorers people who just want to, and we have a, a, a great Facebook page just for members um, where people can share their experiences, ask questions, engage with each other. And um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it, it's about three years old. It's not big. So you really get to know people. Um, it's, a, it's a very sweet thing. Gordon, would you like to say a few words about your experience of it? Um, yeah, I, I haven't been uh, in the group too long. It's been about a year, I suppose. But uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's a very intimate group. And uh, we, we talk about um, a lot of these, these, um, these, um, these uh, thoughts that you were talking about. And, and it's just wonderful. It's, um, it feels like um, uh, it creates sort of enchantment. It's a, it's uh, it it's like you're evolving with people, you know, we conceptually and and in your and talking about feelings and and concepts. It's a it's a wonderful way to uh, to get really close to people and uh, 
conceptually and in feeling. So it's, it's, it's a wonderful group. Thank you, Gordon. That's perfect. Now, the, and the other thing is, I know it's a long way from you, but I have to, I've just had people come across from the other side of the world quite often. Um, but I'm, I do do retreats and I am doing them at the moment in Glastonbury, which is a very special little magical town I live in, the southwest of England, which has been a spiritual center for thousands of years, pagan center, first Christian center ever in this country, biggest abbey in Europe before it was torn down by Henry VIII. And now a kind of quirky kind of alternative place. Uh, but I happen to live there for a, a whole load of coincidences. I'm a local, really. I was born quite near. Um, and we're doing events actually in my house um, where I have a nice big room where we can gather together a small group. I like to do small groups. So There's about 20 of us. And uh, we get to dive into this experience. And, and, you know, I can't promise you, but I can say there's every, there's a good chance that you will experience these deep wake states because most people do. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, now COVID's over, I'm going to try and do some more. And I may even come across and do them in the States again. Well, I've done lots in the States in the past, but haven't been because of COVID. So, and if you're interested in knowing about all of that and picking up on the new videos I've got coming out and all the rest of it, um, go out to my website, timfreak.com and sign up for the mailing list. And you get a little newsletter once a fortnight, probably. Um, with so usually a new video in or some ideas to explore. Um, and you, then you can also contact me via the website should you want to. And, and you'll find out information about the ICU, the online community there as well. It's not a, it's not a, you know, it's not a, you know, pay for community in the sense of, you know, if you can be a gold member or a silver member or all that, none of that. It's if you want to be there, be there. If you want to come as a guest and see what it's like, come as a guest. And then all I ask is that everyone contributes something. And for some people, that's the smallest amount. And for some people, it's a lot more. And uh, that feels right to me. Just feels like, yeah, you want to be there? Come be there. And that's the invitation. So our time is done, but I cannot leave without saying, Patrice, I would love to hear your voice. I've been looking at your lovely face the whole evening. And uh, I'd like to just hear your, how you felt about our time together. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I, I, um, just I, that, that was, I, I, it just came to mind, um, that line, um, I sing myself electric, or, yeah, am I saying that even right? Um, by Walt Whitman, when you were saying about all the sparks coming together, and uh, it was that kind of eternal life that there's always a vibration or I don't know. It was, it was um, yeah, it was wonderful to be with you all. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> well, that was the perfect end for me. I'm so glad I asked you. Walt Whitman's line, what a life. I sing the body electric, <laughs> just like that. That is, Whitman, I think, is a, is a real precursor, oh. total precursor of this. Yeah. I stand here now with my robust soul. <laughs> yeah. And he yeah. just included everything, oh. everyone. Everyone, isn't it? I love it. If you're just the way he raves, I'm this, I'm this, I'm the universe, and you too, you are this. (laughs) And then, and that's the vision. He can feel it. I think he he spoke to the future and everything. He really did. He really did. He he proclaimed it, and he knew he was doing that. And then we're following the footsteps of him and, and others like him who've been who've caught that vision and a vision which didn't deny our humanity. 
didn't go, humanity's a mistake. Your emotions are bad. Your attachments are wrong. Your mind is shut it up. But actually go celebrate your humanity. It is everything which makes us so special and just take it to the next level. And, and I, I think each one of us in a completely unique way can do that, can do that. And I'm going to leave you with this last thought about our individuality, because the, the essence of what I call univigilism, which is the philosophy I'm sharing with you, is the individual, the individual conscious of unity with the universe. And when I use that analogy that we're coming into a deep communion with each other, and maybe it's a bit like the way that cells come into a communion and form a body, and we're coming into communion to form something transcendent of ourselves, something more than us, in which we get to be a part, something we get to serve. What strikes me about my body is that all these cells are doing something different. Some of those, my nails, they're different. There's my hair, there's my nose, there's my heart, there's my blood. They're all individual. They're all part of one thing, but they're not all the same. And it's the fact of their individuality and difference which makes the whole thing work. And that's what I think is happening with us. I think the reason we're all so different is because we're all, bring, we're all the universe finding something unique through each one of us, which can come together in this transcendent whole and create something more than ourselves. So that's the thought. It's been a delight to hang out with you. And, uh, and it, I hope everyone who's been listening to this later um, can feel the uh, connection we've had. And um, I hope our paths cross again at some point in our futures. Go well, my friends. Thanks so much, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>